Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Um, we are putting the Velisca Axe Murders as its own podcast because... The Amityville ran over quite a bit. Well, yeah. If we a lot of murder. Yeah. And this one has even more. But if we wouldn't have, that would have had us at, what, an almost three-hour podcast? Uh, yeah. Similar, too. It would have been a little too... A little too long, so we just decided to break it down into two. So that's why the Amityville said we were going to do both. And I think this one will be lengthy, too. Uh, yeah, I think this one might be a little bit longer. A lot of murder in this one. A lot of messed upness in this one. Um... But it does take place in Iowa in the Midwest. Yeah. So that's and, it, and it's to this day never been solved. That's been over 100 years ago. Like Amityville has paranormal ties to it, I guess. Um, yeah, because the house is still standing. Um, they do ghost tours. They do ghost tours, and apparently you can actually stay there. Why you would want to spend the night in there, I don't know. But you actually can. Um, they actually... The house has been sold a couple of times since, but the people that bought it now, because I guess they had updated the house on the inside and everything, but the people that have it now actually deconstructed all that and put it back to what it would have looked like in 1912. That's cool. So it's kind of authentic. Well, without further ado. We will get into the Velisca Axe Murders. The Velisca Axe Murders occurred between the evening of June 9, 1912 and the early morning of June 10, 1912 in the town of Velisca in southwestern Iowa. The six members of the Moore family and two house guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. All eight victims, including six children, had severe head wounds from an axe. The blunt end. Yeah, that's, yeah, they didn't use the sharp end. They used the blunt end of the axe. They did use the sharp end on Mr. Moore, though. He was so... He was really messed up. He was unrecognizable. Yeah. I think a lot of them were, maybe, but him more so than the others, which almost makes you think that he was the one they were coming after. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the theories, um, but... I know the axe was a common thing to have around the house at that time. And well, I think they were farmers, weren't they? They were farmers, um, and they were actually prominent in the church, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that evening they had been at a church thing. Right. A lengthy investigation yielded several suspects, one of whom was tried twice. They really wanted it to stick. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second ended in an acquittal. The crime remains unsolved. Even if they solve it, what what are they going to do? Dig the person up? No, the person that they, I think, did try twice actually did have an affinity for axes. I think all of them at some point that the suspects, they all have ties to an axe or something. And I believe that he actually sued the detective... I don't know if that's the guy they tried twice, but I do mention him in here. But I did not mention that because I actually didn't see that. And we heard that on a YouTube video that we were watching about these to kind of... Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, because he really wanted that, that detective really wanted it to be him. The Moore family consisted of parents Josiah B., 43, Sarah, 39, and their four children... 
Herman Montgomery, that poor child, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. I guess it's a 1912 thing where you call them by their first and second names. Or maybe it was just that family. An affluent family, the Moors were well-known and well-liked in their community. On June 9, 1912, Mary Catherine invited, invited Ina May, who was 8, and Lena Gertrude Stellinger, 12, to spend the night at the Moore residence. Yeah, had a nice day at the church. Yeah, it was a kids' festival-type thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, not much to do in Iowa in 1912, so the church was probably the pinnacle of that. Yeah. That neighborhood or whatnot, and that's what they did. They decided, well, let's go back and have more church fun at the house. Well, and also, you think you go to a church function, you're going to be safe. Well, I believe, too, in those days, it was an all-day affair. Yeah, they, they would, it would have been. You didn't pack up at noon and then go, go to home. Go, go and corral and, you know, eat. If you want to go to go and corral, I guess. I'm not certain if that's actual food they're serving you. I don't know what that is. God damn, you got 12 fucking kids with you. I mean... Going proud would be the best bet, I guess. Cause, you know, or McDonald's, but it's 1912. I don't think there were McDonald's yet. Going, going proud, either. I think I would rather have McDonald's than Golden Corral. Going proud used to be good. Yeah. Not anymore. That evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah Moore had coordinated. After the program ended at 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving between 9.45 and 10 p.m. At 7 a.m. the next day, June 10th, Mary Peckham, the Moores' neighbor, became concerned after she noticed the Moore family had not come out to do their morning chores. That was around 5 a.m., right? 7. 7 a.m. You would start your chores before 7 a.m. So that's why at 7 a.m. she was surprised that she hadn't seen anybody yet. Uh, Peckham knocked on the Moore's door. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore, Josiah Moore's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Moore went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena Stellinger's bodies on the bed. Can you imagine walking in and seeing that? No. I mean, I'm not sure in this day and age I'd just go into somebody's house either. Well, that was the, um, he was related to him. Yeah, but I'm talking about the neighbors. She's trying to force her way in, breaking in, right? You know, kind of a nosy... Maybe. Well, I think she was... They were friends. Yeah, well, even my friends, I wouldn't... Well, it's also the time period. I mean... It's, it's kind of rude. Are you saying 1912, you don't have a phone? Well, I think phones are just getting places. If something happens to you, you're not going to want your neighbor to come check on you if she ain't seen you? I'm a neighbor, but maybe my neighbor. You know what? I'm going to throw a pen at you. Wow. <sighs> Moore immediately told Peckham to call Hank 
Horton, Velisca's primary peace officer. Hank Horton. I notice it's peace officer, not police officer. It's Hank, a peace Hank, officer. Hank Horton. Yeah, it's, they didn't try for names, I guess, who arrived shortly thereafter. So, he only went into the one bedroom, saw the dead bodies, and he's like, frack this, I'm out of here, call the cops. Yeah, what the hell is he going to do? Besides <laughs> get blamed? Well, funnily enough, he does end up being one of the suspects. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Horton search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family, plus the two Dellinger sisters, had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon, an axe belonging to Josiah, was found in the guest room where the Stellinger sisters were found. Which leads me to believe they were the last two killed. Yeah. yeah. But again, one murder or, or several. I mean, all that's got to make noise, right? Not really. Not, what? Nobody's going to scream? He did it when they were asleep, so he maybe gave, like, each person a good whack like you got two people in the bed so he probably whacked one really good in the head and then whacked the other one in the head to knock him out and then finished hmm. I would assume I don't know but they're going off it uh, that it could have been two but they only found the one axe so I guess they assume one person okay I mean one is one too many and they still I don't think know why this family was targeted because clearly they he was methodical in it and he got everybody in the house and I don't think there was any mention of the Moors owing anybody money or if there well was no a, they were a well to do family so they had money yeah or if they'd done anybody wrong or anything like that well Josiah worked for somebody and um, he eventually opened his own business and mm-hmm. when he opened his own business he took the um, John Deere uh, contract with him Which brought in a lot of money. So, that would take a person off. Because you're you're hurting my pockets. And it was also rumored that he was having an affair with that guy's daughter. Probably not uncommon. And yeah, with you, it wasn't. And I think it was still okay at that time. That it was not frowned upon for a husband to cheat on his wife. Or have a mistress or whatever. Mm, I don't know when that... Did not become the social norm. But it was okay for a long time. They didn't get beat with crops. Back to that. No. Okay. Well, the women did. Because they weren't allowed to do it. But the men were allowed to do it. Okay. So I don't think women were beating their husbands with riding crops for cheating on them. Sad to say for them. All right. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stellinger guests were asleep. That is creepy as fuck. So, he was already in the house. Watching. Could have been there for days. Yeah, you don't know. But he was already in the house waiting for them when they got home. They didn't smell the cigarette smoke? Well, it depends. Like, he could have had a window cracked. Sure, but you could still... But in houses, that... They were made so well that you probably wouldn't. I mean, because everything... The wood and everything was so thick that it might not have traveled out of the attic. Hmm. And if it didn't have, like, an actual door... And how'd they get in? Probably through the the front of the house or So not made so well. If they left a window open... Hmm. 
Because how else are you supposed to cool off your house back then? They didn't have central air. Smoke can't get out, but a person can get in. Oh, sweet. I'm just Obviously, they didn't smell the cigarettes or the husband would have looked around to see where the smoke was coming from. Yeah. Or the husband was a smoker and the, the smell of uh, cigarette smoke would already be in the house, correct? Yeah. Well, it didn't say that, though. That's what you're sticking at here. I Not just... that... It's creepy that there was Lots somebody. Of were somebody there's, was in there. It's, it's, it, it is very creepy. Why that, did nobody smell the cigarette smoke? Right. All and, right. And that would be an indicator if you know you're not used to smelling that. Like, why am I smelling, smelling cigarette smoke? I don't know. Maybe somebody was smoking at the church and it was on their skin, the fabric of their clothes. Maybe. Wow. Wow. That's wow. The killer slash killers began in the master bedroom where Josiah and Sarah were sleeping. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. Gross. Someone did not like this fellow. Right. So why kill everybody else, though? Why not just set your sights on him if he's the one who done your wrong? I don't know. That Maybe makes, he just enjoyed killing people. As I said, this is what makes me think it's it's someone who enjoyed killing. Maybe he just liked killing people. And he had to make sure that the biggest threat was surely dead. Well, that's what you would do. You would go after the protector of the house first. Right. Yeah. I think that's even what they did. That's what Butch did in the, in the Amityville that we just did. Uh, he killed the dad first and then everybody else. If he's even the one that did it. But in this one, it seemed like he was—he wanted to take his time. Well, I guess so. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to... Here's my question. How did the wife not wake up? That's See, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Someone had to wake up initially if they slept together. You're going to feel that initial heart, and someone's going to make a sound. I don't care if... If they had the same bed, because sometimes they would have twin beds. Maybe that's the case, too. Maybe there were some of them weird fucking people. Well, in some cases, husband and wives had completely different bedrooms. But still had, like, a happy marriage. That's just the way it was in society. You didn't sleep in the same room. Uh, they used the blade of the axe on Josiah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victim. So you were right about that. He got the sharpie end. Everybody else got the. I think that, I think that says something. If, yeah, I mean I don't know what it says yet, but it says something. That's kind of yeah. They proceeded into the children's rooms and bludgeoned Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul in the head in the same manner as their parents. They returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder Moors, knocking over a shoe that had filled with blood, before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing Ina and Lena. Now, he hit them so many times that the ceiling... On the ones that he used the blunt end on, the ceiling actually showed indentions of where the axe went through. Because the blows were so strong, he pulled back so far and hit that the axe was actually going into the ceiling. Yeah. He, w- he wanted to make sure the job was done. I'm telling you. That is nuts. Investigators believe that all of the victims except for Lena Stellinger had been asleep when murdered. Really? Yeah. 
They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed and with a defensive wound on her arm. What are you going to do? I mean, she's a little girl. You're going to assume it's a grown man with an axe. What are you going to do? It was a grown man, and she was only... How old was he? We don't know. We don't know. It could have been a woman. Lena was only 12. So, saying that it is a grown man, what's a 12-year-old going to do? And from pictures, she was a very small, young-looking 12. She's not like the 12-year-old you see now. Right. Yeah. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist, and she was wearing no undergarments, leading to law enforcement speculation that the killer slash killers sexually molested her or attempted to do so. That was found out, like, during, I guess, examination, that that probably was not true. Because apart from the nightgown being up and the undergarments being removed, there was no other as evidence of anything. So that could have been like maybe tried, didn't work, or throw them off. Yeah. Or she could have fought so much that that happened. Like she was wiggling around and moving so much that. But maybe not. I mean. The possibility is there that it could have been, but her body showed no signs of that. Over time, many possible suspects emerged, including Reverend George Kelly, Frank E. Jones, Williams Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, and Henry Lee Moore, no relation. George Kelly was tried twice for the murder. The first ended in a hung jury, while the second trial ended in an acquittal. Other suspects in the investigation were also exonerated. Every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect in the murders. One such suspect was a man named Andrew Sawyer. No real evidence linked Sawyer to the crime, but his name came up often in a grand jury testimonies. And I think, I don't know if I put it in here, but George Kelly, they came after him. Because he was kind of weird. He was the one, I believe, that got arrested for sending indecent mail to somebody. He was was doing their version of sexting. Yes, because he um, was interviewing somebody to be his assistant, became infatuated with her, and then started sending explicit letters, which I don't... What? I would be interested in... I would be interested in reading that, because what is explicit for 1912? I don't know. He probably uh, he's probably sending drawings of his wiener. <laughs> I like you to put your oral cavity around my wiener. I mean, look at this drawing. It's impressive, isn't it? <laughs> that's the 1912 version of a dick pic. That, in all honesty, nobody really wants. Just a FYI, stop sending them. Nobody wants to see them. It's true. It's gross. Especially drawings. (laughs) According to Thomas Dyer of Burlington, Iowa, a bridge foreman and pile driver for the Burlington Railroad, Andy Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. on the morning of the murders. On the morning the murders were discovered, Sawyer was clean-shaven and wearing a brown suit when he arrived. His shoes were covered in mud and his pants were wet nearly to the knees. He asked for employment, and as Dyer needed um, an extra man, he was given a job on the spot. 
guess it was just that easy sometimes. Dwyer testified that later that evening, when the crew reached uh, Fontenelle, Iowa, Sawyer purchased a newspaper and went off by himself to read it. The newspaper carried a... Oh, what are you doing over there? You're on dick pics. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you want a picture of my wiener? He's not the one that sent the wiener picture. Well, no, he's probably returning the mail. And we're not even sure. Wiener pictures were sent. I mean, pretty, that... Pretty sure that's what it was. What else are you doing? What else are you drawing? That'd be something to see, though. Would Just be. to laugh. Get this wart right on my mirror. Ew. Really? So like this. Okay, now see, in a dick pic, now, you can't hide the warts. But you would think in a drawing, you would kind of leave that off. No, no. Have that as a nice surprise for later. No, no. If it looks like a crunch bar, draw it like a crunch bar. That's disgusting, and no wiener should look like a crunch bar. The newspaper carried a front-page account of the Velisca murders, and according to Dyer, Sawyer was much interested in it. Okay, to be fair, maybe he's just a weirdo that likes to read murder stuff. Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept with his clothes on and was anxious to be by himself. They were also uneasy that Sawyer slept with his axe next to him. He often talked of the Velisca murders and whether or not a killer had been apprehended. He reportedly told Dreyer that he had been in Velisca that Sunday night and had heard of the murders. How'd you hear of them that Sunday night? Right. Because nobody found out about it. Afraid of being taken as a suspect, he had left and gone to Creston. Dreyer was suspicious and turned him over to the sheriff on June 18, 1912. Dreyer later testified that prior to the sheriff's arrival, he walked up behind Sawyer. He was rubbing his head with both hands and suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will not cut your goddamn heads off. Well, obviously, now this he's is a, got some voices in his head. He may, or this guy's just making it up. You know, maybe this was just a weird dude, and he was like, you know what? He's looking at drawings of dicks and... Again with the dicks. Nobody's drawing dicks. He's saying, he's saying, you know, all kinds of weird shit and reading weird shit. And how, think, is, how is it weird shit for him to read it when everybody's reading the front page of the newspaper? Well, it wasn't so common then. What? To read the newspaper? No, That's that he, all they that had. He was, that he was so interested in this, in this murder. You know, maybe, maybe deep down he, he, he didn't do it, but maybe he liked to read about it. Maybe it tickled his jiggles. I don't know. Tickled his jiggles. That's right. That's right. Wow. Maybe well, you like to read about it, look at the dick pics. Again, there are no dick pics. It's 1912. They're not going to publish dick pics. What the fuck? What, are, anyway. what else are they sending that's sexy? I want to look at your petticoat. Probably because that would have been scandalous. Mm, you look so good in that ankle length dress, all buttoned up and everything. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't have shown skin. I know. Your, your your hands and your face. Oh, even the hands would have been covered up with gloves. And your face looks so nice. That's, that's about all you would see. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, what else are you doing? Hey, take a look at this. Mm. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Mm. I call it the four-inch pile drive. My goodness. At the same time, he had made striking motions with the axe and began hitting the piles in front of him. Wow. 
Dreyer's son, J.R., testified that one day as the crew drove through Villisca, Sawyer told him he would show J.R. where the man who killed the Moore family got out of town. How would he know that? Maybe he was speculating. Maybe he was speculating. Like, this had to be the only way this motherfucker could get out of town. You know? Or maybe in his head he thought he did do it. Maybe he didn't do it. Maybe he was drawing pictures of his penis. Seriously? I mean, who knows? Nobody knows. What's the proof that he did it? Like, what's the proof? Like, he was found with a lot of blood well, on it. Well, that's why Oh, he... his axe was tested and it had a lot of blood on it. That's why he was acquitted. Yeah, okay, so let's let's not make it sound like it's so odd that he knew the way out of town. Like, everything he said is all of a sudden now he's odd. You don't think it's weird that he would know how somebody got out of town? No weirder than looking at a drawing of a penis. Again, nobody said anybody was looking at the drawing of a weenie. And where did I get that? Your head. Oh. Okay. That's where you got that from. Okay. <laughs> Your head. Was, I thought it was mentioned. No. No. Okay. Well, I'm just not so quick to blame this fellow. Because he's odd. But the odd ones always get blamed. I know with my research on this that there were several suspects oh yeah I haven't got to them yet that were actually serial killers yeah haven't got to them yet wouldn't you look to the fucking serial killer I don't think they knew about them yet huh huh wouldn't you look to that person didn't know about them yet no but they knew they knew that they committed several murders with an axe well wouldn't that be the problem how are they gonna know that because they know it now how did they how did they know it now not then 1912 someone, someone had to know 1912. Now we have Uh, this thing called uh, the internet. Right. And a computer. Yes. Google. And phones. Got it. Where all this stuff can be found out very, very fast. Correct. But. 1912, they didn't have that. And in 1912, these people weren't traveling so fast either because they didn't have what we have today to travel fast. How do you think Ted Bundy kept getting away with shit? Because even in the 80s, they didn't have this to where other precincts talked to other precincts to realize you got a serial killer bouncing all over the place. very charismatic. No, he wasn't. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. That's just... that's. Just, I don't understand it. He said the man that did the job jumped <coughs> over a manure box, which he pointed out about half, one and a half blocks away, and then showed where he crossed the railroad track. Well, that's kind of interesting. That could be also, like, if he had done it, that would explain why his boots were muddy and his pants were wet, because you uh-huh. would have walked through water... To get the poop off your legs. Yeah. Because I don't think you're going to jump over a manure box and not land in said manure. Maybe. Because I don't think all the poop's going into the box. JR said there were footprints in the soggy ground north of the embankment. Sawyer told JR to look on the other side of the car and said he would show him on an old tree where the murderer stre- stepped into the creek. Okay, so we're hinging his innocence on a poop box. This is just a very detailed escape plan if he didn't do it. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Because he's got, like, they did this, 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 and this. a man's innocence on a poop box. Not just a poop box. But he said you're going to jump over the poop box. Blocks. There's footprints everywhere. Uh Uh-huh. Did they match the footprints to his shoes? 1912 probably not and then he shows you a tree where he would have entered the creek where he would have where would have 
it's a, where the murderer stepped into the creek. So not would have, but literally stepped the into the creek to get rid of the poop on his legs and feet. Because why else step into the creek? Because nobody's got dogs sniffing at you. Maybe he stepped into the creek because it looked nice and he got a thing for putting his feet in cricks. Then you take your shoes and socks off and you roll up your pants. Maybe that's not his fetish. Oh, you got an answer for everything. According to J.R. Dreyer, he looked over and saw such a tree south of the track about four blocks away. Sawyer was dismissed as a suspect in the case when officers learned that he could prove he had been in Aliska, Iowa on the night of the murders. All right. I never said he did it. I just said it was weird that he had planned out a whole escape plan. The motherfucker sounds weird from jump. Well, He's drawing pictures you got of too his much. penis. Oh, there we go again. He's looking at drawings of penises. He's looking at murder stuff, and he's actually very interested in it. In all seriousness, in 1912, would they have had nudie magazines like their version of a Playboy? Probably. Something. That's interesting. I would think so. I think so. Wouldn't have been drawings, though. It would have been pictures. Probably. Huh. I don't know. They had brothels before then, so I'm sure. They had brothels way before then. That's what I'm saying. So I'm sure there's, there was some way of taking pictures and advertising that. We should do Jack the Ripper, speaking of prostitutes and brothels. He had been arrested for vagrancy there, and the Oscalus sheriff recalled putting him on a train to send him away at approximately 11 p.m. that evening. So. Couldn't be him. Couldn't be. So now, Reverend Kelly. George Kelly was an English-born traveling minister in town on the night of the murders. Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. That's what everybody wants as a minister, someone crazy. As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. Okay, but let's, let's be honest now. This is the guy that was arrested okay. for the, the letters. Okay, but let's be honest. Doesn't that happen all the time today with kids and phones? It does. It happens a lot. What does? That doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying it makes it okay, but it didn't make it, it, didn't make it a mental disorder either. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, there's got to be something wrong with your head if you're It sounds to look like at he was doing their version of sexting what this sounds like. And I'm saying that there's got to be something wrong with your head if you're asking little girls to pose nude for you. Now uh, or then. Yeah, but if he was an adolescent. He was not. He had a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, clearly said that, as an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. So... You're an adult. You know, no. No, no, no. You don't ask a little girl to take the clothes off for you. Absolutely. That's gross. On June 8th, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach at the Children's Day Services, which the Moore family attended on June 9th, 1912. First, if you're asking little girls to take your clothes off, you shouldn't be around any church children's services at all. Absolutely. And during the murders, you know... A dress was raised, panties were missing. I think that's why they focused on him, too, was because of that. Yeah. He left town between 5 and 5.30 a.m. on June 10, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered. 
And if you remember, they said the murders took place between midnight and 5 a.m. And this girl that had the panties missing, she was uh, obviously examined, and they probably looked at her hymen and made sure that was intact, but that, that doesn't mean he didn't diddle him. That mean he didn't look and diddle himself. Exactly, because I don't think... There's no mention of semen found at the crime scene, but would they have known what they were looking for in 1912? That's, that's, I don't know to the extent of how much forensic stuff they would be doing. Um, but this, that sounds like a, that, that's up that guy's alley. Now, the murder part, maybe not, but... Yeah, I don't know anything about him being that violent. Uh, Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. <laughs> so I did it. Give but me. you don't believe me. Okay. All right. That's... <laughs> <In but>. the, <laughs> okay, but see here. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. Now, here's the thing. I don't know. Killers Some, like to hang around. Exactly. Some killers like to insert themselves into the investigation so they can see what's going on. I mean, look at what? What's his name? Gein? No, yeah. not Gein. Kemper. Uh, Kemper. Yeah. Hung around the cops. So much talking about this. Almost begging them to realize it was him and then he's finally like fuck it you're not listening to me i did it well this guy this guy did that too and they're like no come on man no you didn't do it i mean i I don't i don't i don't understand that yeah i don't either i don't either uh we don't believe your confession come on this aroused suspicion and a private investigator wrote back to reverend reverend kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders that's smart Kelly replayed the uh, replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. So now he's saying he witnessed everything. His known mental illness made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having committed the murders or was imagining his account. Because in 1912, you also don't know like how much detail they're releasing. And how much you keep back. Because I know. Tell me not one person could line it up, his story, with the accounts of that night and say, yeah, how would the fuck would he know that? Well, you don't know what kind of accounts he's saying, but also. They said detailed. Right. Well, he would things give he a heard, detail. Things he's seen. But here's the thing how much was in the newspapers? Because I know now in investigations, there's always a couple of little tidbits they hold back, but a lot of it's out there. So, he could have been playing on what he read. Just like the the first guy we just talked about. He's like, well, that's how I would have escaped if it was me. You know, so maybe he's just filling in blanks as to, if this was me, this is what I would have done. Hmm. Well, and the fascination with little girls. Right. Hmm. In 1914, two years after the murders, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail... He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. You don't get arrested for that now. Not really. He was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Hospital in Washington, (coughs) D.C. Investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Moore family. Seems like it. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Villisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However... 
It followed many hours of interrogation, and Kelly later recounted. After two separate trials, he was acquitted. So... They tried to convict him. Well, and also, after hours of interrogation, at that point, you're just going to say whatever in the hell you, you they want to hear. Yeah, you don't know what their interrogation techniques were either. Exactly. You're going to say whatever to get... Get out the old phone book. Yeah, just get, get it to leave you alone. Confession. Um, here's another one. Frank Fernando Jones was a Villisca resident and an Iowa State Senator. Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at his implement store for many years before leaving to open his own store. Moore reportedly took business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. Moore was also rumored to have had a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, Though no evidence supports this. But why kill the whole family? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. Another theory was that Senator Jones hired William Blackie Mansfield to murder the Moore family. It is believed that Mansfield was a serial killer because he murdered his wife, infant child, and parents-in-law with an axe two years after the Velisca crimes. That seems like a good suspect. Um, he is... He is believed to have committed axe murders in uh, Pola, Kansas, four days before the Velisca crimes. He was also suspected in the double homicide of Jeannie Peterson and Jenny Moore in Illinois. His crime scene was accessible by train, and all murders were carried out in virtually the same manner. So, all of these... Mansfield was released after a special grand jury of Montgomery County refused to indict him on grounds that his alibi checked out. Nine months before the murders at Villisca, a similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas and Pola, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. So, you have murders in multiple cities that are just like the Velisca murders. Yeah. Same M.O. Axed. So, maybe this guy just liked beating the crap out of people with an axe. Or maybe... That was just the weapon of choice for most people back then. Because it was like the the axe guy in New Orleans. The um, interesting thing is that Jacqueline Kelly, uh, he was left-handed. So the, the blood spatters, from what the police could determine, uh, came from a left-handed person. So Kelly could have been telling the truth. Correct. Also, he had a history with the Moore family, as many had seen them, seen him watching them. At the church, and particularly the little girls. Well, it, it was a peeping. He was a peeper. Um, also, a dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murders. Why? 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 Why are you going to just, if he did it, why are you dumb enough to send your clothes to a dry cleaner? Probably because they didn't have a whole lot of clothes either. Well, you can't, you're not going to get that out of clothes. 
just saying. I'm just telling you what's been reported. How are you going to get the blood out of clothes? Wouldn't the iron, like, stain? Because isn't that what you said stays at a crime scene? The, the heme does, yes. The iron in the blood. That's the why heme. no matter how much you clean a crime scene, there's always going to be blood evidence. Because yeah. that's what the, you, what is it, the luminol picks up? Yes. Just that baffles me that you would send bloody clothes to the dry cleaner. I think he's good for it. To be honest, I mean he's got the history. He's got, you know, he's left-handed. Of course, that's not saying everybody else wasn't left-handed that had access to it. Um, He's got the uh, sexual component with this as well from his history of looking at little girls and being a peep. Uh, voyeur or whatever um, and it seems like this is a behavior that has escalated and escalated with him. At, with Mansfield the cases were similar enough to rise raise the possibility of having like I said other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes include the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 through 12. The unsolved Axeman of New Orleans killings, as well as several other such murders during this time period. If this is all the same person, this dude is getting around. And I think that's why that detective was so... I, I, I'm just, he had such a hard-on for this Mansfield guy to get him arrested and tried for this. The murders in Colorado Springs were closely related in execution to those in the Moore house. Nine months before the Velisca murders, H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were found dead in Colorado Springs, murdered with an axe slash axes. The Colorado Springs police found it difficult to believe that the same person could perpetrate a similar crime in a city. So this one was probably a little bit out in the country, whereas Velisca, there were houses around. So somebody would have had to have heard something. Hmm. So that's why they say it could have been, it should have been, I guess, hard for somebody to be able to kill someone or a house full of people with an axe like that and nobody hear anything. As in the Velisca murders, the bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent passerby from looking in. So... Did he, or the murderer, put the bed sheets over the windows while everybody was sleeping or after the fact so they couldn't see the dead bodies inside? Well, sometimes that can be a religious thing. Sometimes it can be a guilt thing. Um, well, they covered the, the mirrors. And sometimes which, it can be to conceal what you're doing. Right. And I think the covering of the mirrors is a religious act. Which would go back to... Kelly. Correct. But I don't know that the Presbyterians did that. Does anybody outside of the Jewish faith cover the windows? I mean the mirrors? They open it, they crack the window, but they cover the mirrors. I mean, I thought that was kind of a common belief amongst people back then. I mean, um, it's not just the Jewish faith that does it. As in the murders in Villisca... The murderer in Colorado Springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes. So this brings us back to, like, what happened in Amityville. 
where everybody was like rolled over so you couldn't see their faces. Mm-hmm. Do you, did they do that because of guilt or for shock value for when you lift the bed sheet up and you see the the what's left of faces? Why cover them? Hmm. It's interesting too that Bill James. I guess he was a famous baseball writer. Um, he's credited with developing sabermetrics. Um, I guess he he may have identified the person responsible for the murder at uh, Villisca using the sabermetrics type system. Okay, well, I haven't heard of this. Right. But he's, he's also promoting a book, so you got to take it with a grain, a grain of salt. salt. Right. But Did he really, or is he just trying to get book sales? The, the, the book is named The Man from the Train. And he details about how a man traveled across the country and slaughtered families from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, probably your New Orleans axe man. Uh, the murderer would kill each one of the in their home and then with their own axe. And oftentimes the home and bodies were set on fire. I don't know that New Orleans, that they set the houses on fire, but could well, that, have had different MOs for each crime scene. That man's name was Paul Mueller. Um, is that's who this James uh, Jamie sees is? I don't even think that guy was on the radar I, for I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, pretty much every detail we've learned about him, and we put in the book McCarthy James uh, Jamie sees told uh, publication. We only knew probably 500 words of material about him, specifically in physical appearance and where he's from. Uh, we don't know too much, so we're pretty careful with every single thing we've put in the book. Um, if you have visited the southwest Iowa, you may have heard of the Vasilla of Villisca Axe Murders, and this is a site where six members of the Moore family were brutally murdered. Um, so I guess he's saying that this guy took is, is actually responsible for most of the murders that were out there with the axe in that time region, and he was using a trained... Well, you would have, yeah, you would have to use, because the train was your fastest and really only mode of transportation back there. And if, um, if you, I've lost my train of thought. It makes sense that you're trying to link all these axe murders to one person. Because the M.O. on a lot of them are the same. So, the other thing, too, is this Henry Lee Moore. Who's not related. He is not related. Um, he was an American forger. He was a murderer. Suspected serial killer who convicted to killing his mother, grandmother, with an axe in their home. Um, this is when, I guess when he was in prison, he alleged um, that he had some part in the Villisca axe murders as well. I don't understand why these people keep saying that um, he, they did it. Um, while you're looking at that, um, Mansfield was also believed to have been responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois on July 5th, 1914, two years after the Villisca murders. And the axe murders con- uh, committed in Pola, Kansas, four days before Villisca, and the mor- murders of Jenny 
Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois. So, he seems well to be good for acts stabby stabby. Well, and this guy, <clears throat> this Moore, who's not related to the families, I guess after some time, Moore's fingerprint and prison records were sent for examination um, by to an investigator in the Villisca area and someone who was looking into the Villisca Axe murders. Um, a fingerprint expert suggested that the prisoner could have something to do with that axe murder and the string of other axe murders that had taken place around the same time. Uh, coupled with the coincidental timing that Moore had just been released at the start of the spree, this, I guess they thought he was very good for it. Um, he had committed the Burnham Wayne murders, the Dawson murders, Showman murders, Hudson murders, and then is suspected of the Velisca murders. And these were all done with an axe? Mm-hmm. He seems pretty good for it, too. So you've Yeah, got, he's not a nice man. You've got three strong suspects. Right. And he was also in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, as well. Around the New Orleans axe man. Correct. In regards to the Velisca murders, few of the residents believe this theory. However, according to Joseph Stillinger, father of the killed Lena claimed that Moore was very much resembled a man that once worked for him that was in the area. That man who had given him the name Helm was hired in April 1912 and worked only a week before disappearing. So maybe since if this is the same person and he worked for Lena and Ina's father and Lena's found with her nightgown up and her pants down, the Moore family just had the misfortune of having them at their house that night. And she was the target the whole time. Yes. And he took out the dad to make sure there was no possibility of being being interrupted. interrupted. Yeah, of being interrupted. But then why go after him so hard? I don't know. That doesn't make sense either. Are those all the suspects? Um, no. No. There's one more. But the, with Mansfield, there was a detective that was coming after him so hard for these murders that Mansfield actually sued him because he would not leave him alone. I don't really know. Like, I forgot what happened with that. Um, he if, won. Did he win? He got awarded $2,200. For the, to get the detective to leave him alone. And also something weird was the killer took a two-pound slab of bacon okay, yeah. from the ice box, yeah. wrapped it in a towel, and left it in the room with the Stellinger sisters. What was the other suspect's name? The other suspect was actually Sam Moyer, Josiah's brother-in-law, and he often threatened to kill Josiah, but he was later cleared because um, an alibi. The alibi checked out, but he was thought of as a person of interest because of the fact. So, what is the what is the significant? I know he had a plate of food too, there too. That's what they said. Yeah, they said he um, fixed a plate of food for himself, but I don't believe that he actually ate said well, plate of food. You cut everybody up with axes. You're gonna get a. You're gonna get. You're gonna get a little bit hungry. It's, you're gonna work up an appetite. But that also makes me think that he was pretty comfortable in the house. So. Pretty comfortable. He was there. He stalked them. And you don't know how long he was in the attic. 
you know, yeah, and that might not have been the first time he ate there. Um, I mean, he's obviously made himself a home. He's obviously had to be there long enough to find a place to use the restroom, um, sleep there maybe. And then, for some odd reason, he does what with the bacon? Wraps it. Which I'm offended by because bacon is delicious. Oh, yes, it is. It's not something to waste. He took it out of the ice box or whatever they used. I think they had, like, refrigerators of some kind. Um, took it out of the ice box, wrapped it in a towel, and took it into this. I'm wanting to say it was the sisters that were spending the night there room and left it there. Like, hey, if you're hungry, like if for some unknown reason you wake up from all the stabbies I put in your head, here's some bacon. I guess I don't understand that. Yeah, that's kind of odd that you would just leave it. Um, also, like the axe was found in there too. No, that goes back to the more serial killer where he would use their own axe and just leave it. Well, I mean, that's why that makes sense that you, because most houses back then had an axe. And you're going to look kind of suspicious traveling around with your own axe. So, yes, that could be your weapon of choice. But odds are you're going to find that at the house you're going to. I guess I'm kind of stuck on two suspects. Moore is a good one. I also think the uh, Reverend Kelly is a good one. Well, Honestly, Mansfield's a good one, too, because places that he was at had axe murders that were very similar to the Moore, or, yeah, the Moore family. What makes me think it's not Reverend Kelly is there was no history of violence there. Ever. No, just it's the all been, It's all been sexual deviancy type stuff, which can escalate to killing, but if he didn't kill anybody after that or hadn't had any violence before that... I, I don't see why all of a sudden that's what he would decide to do. And, just, it, and it would have to be a whole family. Right. Why he wouldn't peep and then just take the girl that he wanted. Right. Um, so he could have more time with her. Right. Um, you would have, yeah, you would have taken her out of the house. So I, I don't necessarily think it was him. Um, but I do think it, I do think he was probably watching him and peeping and doing some questionable things. Um, as far as the more, um, his fingerprints... What were his fingerprints actually found there? Yeah, he said that he would have something to do with it. I mean, so they must have compared fingerprints from all these crime scenes. And, and like, whoever's doing done this one has done this one. And they finally got his, and that's when they kind of made that conclusion. But, correct me if I'm wrong, and I could be wrong. I know fingerprints at a crime scene are a good thing, but they don't rely solely on that. No, but if your fingerprints are there, you were there. Yeah, but here's the thing, too. If he actually was the same guy that worked for Selinger, the the little girl's dad, he could explain away why his fingerprints were there. Like, maybe he was sent there by the girl's dad to... coincidentally, he cut people up with an axe. Well, yeah, there's that. But so did Mansfield. And we'll make your case for Mansfield. What's your case for Mansfield? He killed his wife, his child, his mother-in-law... And father-in-law with an axe. Same way. I feel like if this was today, this would be solved in about three hours. I really do. So would, yeah, like the Lizzie Borden thing, too. That would be solved. Forensics and DNA and 
you know, with with this, it makes it seem like these people are fucking criminal masterminds, and they're not. They're not. It's just the time period. Yeah, and and really, you have to kind of rely on people's patterns and behaviors and motives and you know the, those sort of things. Which again, it does come down to those too, really. It really does. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the one I think. It probably was. I, I'm leaning more towards more too. Um, uh, but, I mean, you have a string of axe murders, and I'm almost, I, I would link them too, especially the ones that are very similar, because you have some that are almost carbon copied of the Velisca, down to covering the windows, the faces, the wiping of the blood off the axe. Maybe even, the, you know, are they using the blunt end? Are they using the sharp end? How are they doing it? Um, that's, that's stuff that a serial killer is going to do every time, just about. And you should also take and look at the train schedules at the time to see if you can link. That would have been a like, good way, too. Yeah, like to link the cases to the, the way the train's running. Um, I think it's possible, too, that they, um, someone could have been hired to do this. I mean, and, and that's, Yeah, that's why the um, one guy was put in as a suspect, um, but I think it was pretty much... Like he didn't do it. I just um, I don't see why you would say yeah the whole family's got to go. He screwed me over. You um, would go after him and you would do it outside the house, right? So that because the wife had nothing to do with it. I mean, for heaven's sakes, she, he was cheating on her. So why kill her? If in fact he was cheating. Well, let us know what you guys think and send us an email and maybe you can help us clear it up. I don't think this is one that will ever be solved either. I think there's arguments for a lot of different things, so um, I don't think anybody will ever conclude yes, this was a, this was the person. So No, because, I mean, think about it. Back then, they wouldn't have even thought about taking forensic evidence and saving it. Yeah, so he got away with it, the bastard. Oh, yeah. A lot of them did back then. Yep. Alright, well, what's our next one? I think we are going to try to do the Kitty Cabin. To keep going with our creep week. To keep going with creep week. Um, and, and then we'll see where we end up from there. But we're going to try to drop, since this is kind of our, our reboot, we're going to try to drop a lot this week and next week and see where that takes us. So, But we'd love to hear from you. Anything that you, any suggestions you may have, um, anything you want to hear about, please let us know. Yep. Uh, see you next time. Bye.